Our scripture this morning comes out of the book of Ephesians. Mary is coming to read our scripture for us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. It's found there in your pew Bibles on page 828 if you would like to follow along. Uh, Otherwise, you're welcome and and encouraged to follow along in your own Bibles as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verses verses 1 through through 16 is what it is. As a priest... As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God becomes, more, becomes mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word. And as always, make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. And now, O oh God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. On April 22nd, 1889, a a, a shot rang out on on noon of April 22nd, 1889. And thousands flooded the prairie landscape with a with a dream in their heart and a, and a stake in their, in their hand. Those, uh, those dreams in their hearts would, uh, w- would, would create, a, would create a, a presence on this new front, frontier. And, a, and those stakes then would, would be able to stake a claim uh, to a homestead or, 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 or to, a, uh, to a place of business or, or to a, a, new, a new life in a, in a, in a new area. In, in just a in just a in just a few in just a few moments, the uh, Oklahoma City was born. 
In fact, right, right where we are standing was, was open prairie at that time. But uh, just, within a, just within, literally within hours, Oklahoma City began to take shape. This is a, this is a picture that we have in our archives from, from the, the day after the land run. That Oklahoma City was all, you can, you can see here that already buildings were beginning uh, to be built. And then that, that next Sunday, so the land run took place on a, on a Monday, on a Monday at noon, that, that, that next Sunday, that next Sunday on, um, on um, I believe it was April the 28th, uh, 1889, um, the call went out that the, all the Methodists would, would gather together at, um, well, it was 3rd Street at that time. It's called Dean A. McGee Avenue, and it literally is right across the street south of our church. There was some woods there. There were a couple of trees there, and they gathered together. All the Methodists of the community uh, in that in that new town of Oklahoma City gathered together, gathered together under under that tree. There were about uh, sixty men, a, a dozen women, and half a dozen children were there. On on the second Sunday, uh, the Methodists uh, separated into their. Uh, respective denominations. Uh, at that time, there was the uh, Methodist Episcopal Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church South. Uh, we, we had split over slavery. The Methodist Church had split over the issue of slavery in the, in the mid-1800s. And, and, and again, that first Sunday, they just knew that we could do it and come together. But by the second Sunday, they realized, no, we can't do it. And so uh, just as today is, is our 130th uh, anniversary today is also the 130th anniversary of St. Luke's United Methodist Church. They were the Epi- uh, Methodist Episcopal Church South, and so by that second Sunday, uh, they began. We began to gather together. Here is a picture of of the um, of the church before any facility was built. Uh, this was uh, a picture that was taken, um, we believe, uh, sometime in the, in the late spring of 1889. These were the folks of, of First, of first um, Methodist Episcopal Church. Uh, and again, this was before any sort of facility had been, had been built. Obviously, there was someone, someone, had, someone had a house. And then in, in August... In August of 1889, uh, the two lots on the corner of 4th and Robinson, Northwest 4th Street and Robinson, were purchased for a, for a total price of $500. That was a lot of money in 1889, uh, but, but the, church, the church purchased those two lots, and, and, then, uh, and then they began to realize that um, that they needed a church facility on those two lots. And so in, on October the 27th, 1889, this church was dedicated, and it, it, it was located where our current church is located as well. This is the oldest church in Oklahoma City still on its original site. In fact, in fact, uh, outside of a church in Guymon, Oklahoma, this is the oldest church. My understanding, this is the oldest church, Methodist church in the state of Oklahoma, outside of Victory Memorial United Methodist Church in Guymon, Oklahoma. It was an astounding day on October 27, 1889. I found a newspaper clipping 
from, from the Daily Oklahoma Gazette from Monday, October 28th, 1889. This was the article that came out in the paper the day after uh, the dedication of this church, first church facility. Hear these words. Six months ago today, the Reverend James Murray preached the first sermon ever delivered by a Methodist minister in this city. When the hands of the clock pointed to 11 yesterday, yesterday morning, almost 500 people were waiting for the services to begin, packed in a room built for 300 people. It was a notable gathering of the city's representative people as Presbyterians, Baptists, Christians, and those without the compass of any creed were there. Lawyers, doctors, mechanics, clerks, real estate men, teachers, bankers, capitalists, and laborers were there to witness one of the most important events in the history of this territory. Dr. Kelly delivered a masterful sermon on Christianity taken from the text found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. It was a red-letter day for the Methodists, and no one blames them for slightly spreading themselves. The choir sang, scatter seed of salvation, and when the, when the benediction was pronounced and the great congregation, the, ever, the, the greatest ever in Oklahoma City, they scattered to their respective homes. This was a monumental day in the life, not only of Oklahoma City First, um, at that time, First Methodist Episcopal Church, it was a monumental day in the life of our city. Well, you see, this was the, this was the first church that was, that was erected in Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma City really became a city when First Church built their first facility. There were, well, they quickly realized, even by the, by the second or third week of this building's existence, that they didn't build it large enough. It would hold about 300 people, but they were already bursting at the seams. They, had, they didn't have enough space uh, in which to meet. They didn't have enough space for, for Sunday school classrooms. And so often the Sunday schools would have to meet outdoors instead of being able to meet indoors. And so by the year uh, 1904, they realized that a, a, larger, a larger structure needed to be built. And so on June the 5th, 1904, this structure was dedicated. You can see here in this picture, if you look at it closely, we, we may be able to dim, dim the lights up here just, if you can dim the, dim the stage lights just a little bit. Um, on, the, on the lower right-hand side of this picture, you can, you can barely make out a, a horse and buggy on the lower right-hand side of this picture. You can also see that, that there's no grass in front of the church. In fact, it, the, the church had just been constructed and was still being constructed when this picture was taken. Again, June 5th, 1904 was when this church was, when this church was dedicated. It's the same structure that remains today. We know that as, as Harris Hall. And over the next number of years, there were a number of other uh, upgrades to the facility. Uh, property was, was purchased. In fact, the property that we are now on right here, there were a couple of buildings right here uh, in 1904. The church did not own this portion of the block. Uh, it, was a, it was a very small uh, uh, 
really two lots that the church owned just, just right where Harris Hall is. And then they began to expand it literally a, f- a foot by foot. <laughs> they, would pa- they would purchase about 25 feet at a time that would, that would be right beside the church. And then they would purchase a, another small little building here and a, another small little building right over there. And, and there was a strip of land here in the middle that the church didn't own. But finally, finally... Um, finally, the, the church be, acquired all, all, of the, all of our current property. In 1917 in Harris Hall, uh, you, you may be familiar with this story. Uh, in 1917, the, uh, the stage used to be on the south side of Harris Hall, where the, where the south large rose window, the stained glass window is. That's where the stage was. But in 1917, they, they switched it around. They, they put a new facade there on the, on the south entrance into... Uh, into the church, there were a number of other, a number of other upgrades, and um, a, 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 by by 1940 or so, they they realized uh, that gosh, they were bursting at the seams. It was I, maybe, I think it was in the 1930s actually. They were bursting at the seams, realized that they didn't have enough they didn't have have enough space to meet, and so they uh, they built the education wing, and 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 it was um, it was built in such a way that. Uh, it could it could be expanded upon another a couple of stories could be added to it because they realized that that um, well we're, we're going to look at this there were there were a couple things that they were deeply deeply committed to and one of those was to reaching more people and so they wanted to reach more people so they made their facility where it could be expanded upon it could be expanded upon and so today. Today, now 130 years later, we are standing on the shoulders of of those who have gone before us. Literally, the tens of thousands of people that have been members of First United Methodist Church, um, First Methodist Episcopal Church, First Methodist Church of Oklahoma City, the ten, literally tens of thousands of people who have been members here, the tens of thousands that have gone before us, that have that have that have given that that gave of themselves that that gave of their time that gave of their financial resources that that gave of their hearts and of their lives to the good of this church we are standing on their shoulders today and we have come to this very moment 130 years later we have come to this very moment because because of their faithfulness because of their faithfulness so the 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 preacher that on that on that very on that on that first Sunday when that first church was dedicated, uh, preached a sermon out of the book of Ephesians, and I wanted us to look very briefly at at Ephesians chapter Ephesians chapter four, especially um, especially beginning at verse eleven. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and and the evangelists and the and the pastors and the teachers to equip the saints. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him which is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, 
joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. I, I, I just want to point out a couple of things. One, we are we, we, have, we have leaders in the life of the church, and, and the reason for the leaders in the life, I'm pointing at you all as the leaders in the life of the church, is so that others might grow in their faith in Jesus Christ, that others might come to know God through Jesus Christ. That's why God has raised you up. That's why God appointed me here, uh, the, uh, the God through the bishop and cabinet, uh, why, why I was appointed here to First United Methodist Church of Oklahoma City, so that others might, might come to know God through Jesus Christ, that we might be built up in love. But at the same time, we are called to speak the truth in love. And, and, and let me warn you, over the next few months especially, I will warn you over the next few months, I'm going to be speaking the truth in love. <laughs> Try to remember, it's going to be in love. I've been here now for almost two years. And it seems as though we're still high-centered just a little bit. Do you know, do you know that terminology of, of being high-centered? Uh, when I grew up on a I grew up on a farm and ranch, and, and sometimes when, well, oftentimes when you drive through the pasture, uh, and you would drive along the, the same little road in the pasture, the ruts of your tires, I mean, the, the, your tires would make deeper and deeper and deeper ruts, and, and sometimes so much so that, that the ruts would be, would be deeper than, than your tires, and, and the bottom of your vehicle would, would, would scrape along the ground, and at times you would get high-centered. At times you would, you would get high-centered. You, you would get stuck. And, and, and friends, I've, I've been here for, for two years, and as I have been looking at the life of First Church over the last number of years, we are, we're high-centered. We are, we're stuck. And so over the next coming months, I'm going to be speaking the truth, but hopefully speaking the truth in love so that, did you, did you hear, what, hear what the Apostle Paul said? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way which is the head into Christ, from which the whole body is held and joined together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, then it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we work together as a body of Christ, when we work together properly, then we will grow. <laughs> We will grow. There are a number of things that I have, again, I, that I've learned from this passage of Scripture, a, a, number, of, a number of practices from that, from that early church, from that early church that I have found in my, in my research of First Church. The first, thing, the first thing that I found that those early Methodists were committed to, they were committed to remaining in this downtown neighborhood in the center of commerce, influence, and the center of of people. This was an influential church. This was an extremely influential church. And in fact, this is a picture of a, of a, of a group of the leaders in the life of the church. It was a, um, taken around 1910 or so. Uh, the second from the left on the, on the front row is the pastor. The, uh, the, the lighter-haired gentleman is the pastor. And this was a, 
this was a group of, um, of men he had gathered together to have a, a men's Bible study. Uh, they're standing now in front of what we know, well, where the Lincoln window is now. There used to be an entrance right there, that, uh, uh, an elevated entrance. And so where the Lincoln window is there, uh, that was one of the main entrances into the life of the church. These were influential people in the life of the city. In fact, what I, uh, time and again, I read uh, that, that, that names would be mentioned, and they were some of the great names of Oklahoma City and of Oklahoma. Multiple governors were members here at First Church. Mr. and Mrs. Classen, Classen Boulevard, Northwest Classen High School, a developer of Oklahoma City. They were uh, faithful members here. Uh, a family, a prominent family here in our church. They gave 40 acres to begin um, a, a property to begin Epworth University, which is now OCU. Another family in our, in our church gave the property uh, so, to the state of Oklahoma so that the capital could be built on that property. This was an influential church, and the reason that this church wanted to remain downtown was because we understood that we were at the very center of commerce. We, were, we could be at the very center of influence, not for the influence, not so that we might be able to influence the city, but instead so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could influence the city. And it wasn't easy. It, it certainly wasn't easy multiple times Multiple times the church thought about moving. Here's another picture of, of the bishops of the Methodist Episcopal Church that were gathered here at First United or First Church in Oklahoma City. A number of times the church thought about building. We were landlocked, again, with only the two very small blocks on the, on the uh, southwest corner of, uh, of, of, of our lot here. In the, in the early 1950s, St. Luke's United Methodist Church, again, they were located on 3rd Street. In the 19, early 1950s, St. Luke's relocated to their current location. First Presbyterian Church that was also located downtown, they also relocated. And there was significant conversation about First Church to relocating to, a, to more of a neighborhood rather than in a business downtown environment. But they decided to stay. And then when, when we, what we know as urban flight really began to get up and uh, uh, really ramped up in the, in the late 1950s, the, the church struggled with the decision. And in 1961, a, a tumultuous charge conference was held, and they, they, were, they were holding that charge conference to decide whether to leave downtown or stay, and the church voted to stay. The church voted to stay. They were, to be honest, there were a number of families that left over that decision. It's noted, noted in, the, in the archives, I, I found it interesting, that, that the year after they decided to stay and they had a number of families leave this church, they said that there were more financial gifts brought in the following year than ever before. And then in 1995, with the bombing of the Murrah Building just across the street, there was conversation that took place within those first couple of months, what are we going to do? Is it, is it time for, for us to leave this downtown neighborhood and, and go somewhere else? It, was a, it really was a very quick and short discussion because the church wholeheartedly agreed that no downtown was where we needed to be because downtown needed the presence of Jesus Christ himself. And we were called to be a beacon, a, a light into this downtown 
environment. We were called to be a, a place of influence in the life of this city. So first and foremost, this, this church was committed to being in this downtown community. I, I, I also found that, that this church was also committed to reaching the disenfranchised of this city. This is a picture of, of, a, of a Sunday school class that was, that was started. There were a number of different Sunday school classes that, that was started. L- listen, listen, to this, listen to this account from the very earliest days. Listen to this account of a charter member speaking of those early months in 1889. She writes, Soon afterwards, A.G. Murray came as a pastor. We organized a relief club. He was the only man in it, but we gathered together most of the women in town, meaning most of the women in Oklahoma City, regardless of church membership. There was a great deal of illness that that summer and fall, especially typhoid fever. There were a few doctors, but no regular nurses. Brother Murray would find the sick, and whether poverty-stricken or not, he would visit them taking soups and other food when it was possible. By the fall, the other churches had organized their own aid societies, so our little relief club was disbanded or rather absorbed by the aid societies. From the very first few months, this church was committed to reaching out to those who were disenfranchised in our city. In 1919, a, 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 excuse me, 1921, I believe this is a picture of uh, a Sunday school class that we had uh, beginning in 1921 and almost for the next 40 years, First Church uh, had a Sunday school class to Children's Hospital. Now, now you have to remember uh, the time frame this was. And in the 1920s, children that had experienced uh, the, the crippling effects of, of polio and, and other diseases they were locked up. They were never pictured. They were never talked about. Those with any kinds of disabilities were, I mean, literally, they were locked away. They were pushed on the outer edge of society. But First Church went to them every single Sunday for almost 40 years. We had a Sunday school class, and we, there were adults that volunteered to take Sunday school curriculum and teach these children that were in that were in intense need, intense spiritual need, intense transitions in their life, and First Church decided that that we wanted to reach them. We wanted to reach them. In 1919, First Church started uh, something that that I mean, it, this just this did not happen in 1919. Uh, uh, a diverse sort of gathering of children. 1919, First Church went down to, it was called Packingtown at that time, Frisco Packing Company, now in stockyard, at the stockyards, First Church. For four years, we, we, we went and we, and we had a Sunday school class for those, for those children, children whose parents were working long, difficult, hard hours First Church was committed to reaching those who were on the outside of society looking in. And dear sisters and brothers, we must commit to doing the same thing today. We must. It is at the very heart of who we are. It is in our DNA to reach those who are, uh, who are on the outside looking in. It's part of who we are. And the final thing that I, wanted to, that I learned um, 
reading, reading so much of our history is that First Church was committed to growing. From the very moment of our inception, First Church was committed, was committed to growing. In, by, the, by the 1920s, the church had exploded in size. It was, it was one of the largest churches in Oklahoma City. In fact, among, among the Oklahoma Conference, it was by far the largest church in the Oklahoma Conference of the Methodist Episcopal Church. They, they, were, they were committed to reaching young families, and by, by 1926, there were almost 1,000 children on what was called the cradle roll. These were children who, were, who had either been uh, baptized or dedicated or children who were involved in Sunday school class. 1,000 children by, by the early 1920s. In 1922, um, an outreach on the west side of town at Pennsylvania Avenue was, was started. And in 1922, Penn Avenue uh, United Methodist Church was formed. And that, that began as an outreach of First United Methodist Church. So I could go on and on and on about, about the new ministries and the new churches that have been, that have been started from our church, from our church. I, I don't even need to mention uh, the pastor of the largest, the largest church in the United States uh, came out of this church as an associate pastor, Craig Groeschel. First Church has been committed to growing from day one. Listen to these words again about, about the decision to remain downtown in 1950. This is what, this is what one person read or wrote. Many, many felt that the church was more than steel and stones. It was people and their spiritual activities. However, Dr. Dorf, the, the pastor at that time, believed that, uh, believed that, the, that the next... Uh, that, that the next um, uh, 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 issue for First Church was not whether they could tear down and build again, but whether, but whether First Church could handle an ever-increasing ever -increasing budget set up to render greater service to more people. The church made great strides in membership during the pastorate of Dr. Dorf. The reason could be tied to several factors, such as personal evangelism by the membership, tithing, and the emphasis on total family worship. So during, during those early years, here's a picture from 1919 of a men's Bible class, a men's Sunday school class. It was so large that they had to rent a, a theater on 2nd Street. And the average, attendance in, the average attendance in this one men's Sunday school class was 800. First Church was committed to growing. There's a picture from what we know as Harris Hall of, of children coming to be dedicated and, and baptized. And then after the Murrah building, you wonder, you wonder why First Church didn't just build what we had. I mean, it's a beautiful church, beautiful stained glass, the original structure. You know why we didn't stay in that space, but instead opened up this space right here? Because First Church was committed to growing. I, I, haven't, I haven't even mentioned the, the great Dr. Nick Harris that came. Many of you remember him. Many of you in this room remember his ministry here. During his 22-year pastorate at First Church, we experienced an astounding 240% increase in both Sunday school and worship attendance. Dr. Harris had a passion for 
for reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. His commitment to having an outstanding staff as, as the, as was, 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 was unheralded, was, was unheard of. And his commitment to reaching more people. I found it fascinating that in, 19, in, the, in, the, in one of the 1960s uh, programs that I read about, uh, about the future of First Church, they, they, they said they could picture in their mind that this church would be surrounded, uh, surrounded by uh, high-rise apartments, condominiums, and businesses designed to reach young families in, 19, in the 1960s. Do I need to throw open the doors and let us see? Because within walking distance, there are tens of thousands of people who have moved here just into our neighborhood. And so I'm speaking the truth in love. So as I have been reading through these histories, the question that has been rattling around in my head is, is this. Because throughout these histories, there are individuals that are named. People, the saints of those who have gone, the, the saints who have gone before us. Great family names, individual names, people who, uh, that, 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 had, that had significant wealth, people who were not wealthy at all, but they gave of themselves for the good of this church and for the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder, I wonder if any one of us might be named in, in 130 years from now. I mean, think about it. People who are, who are going to be thinking about what First Church was and in the year 2019, 130 years from now, are there any of us who are going to be named? Any of us who might be named among the saints, the great saints of this church, committed no matter what, committed to the furthering of this church, for the, for the, uh, for the building up of this church, but more so for the furthering of this gospel of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I, I know some of you aren't, aren't, aren't even a part of, here, of us here at First Church. Maybe you're, maybe you're in town visiting, or maybe, maybe this, this may be even your very first Sunday here. I, I, no matter what church you're a part of, or, or no, matter wh- no, no matter where you are in your faith journey, I, I, would ask, I would ask you to ask that question yourself about your own church or, 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 where, or where you are in your, in your faith journey. Is someone ever going to be able to remember your name because of the things that you did for the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are you going to just simply slip into history as one of those who are one of the thousands who are, who are unnamed? Or are you going to step up? Are we willing to step up as individuals to strengthen this church, to do everything that we can to help this church grow, to help the kingdom of God grow? You see, dear friends, there are people slipping into eternity moment by moment by moment without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's who God has called us to be. That's why God planted Methodists right here on this corner. Would you bow with me? God, we thank you for those that have gone before us. We thank you for the thousands and thousands who have, who have given of themselves financially, emotionally, 
of their time, of their energy, of all kinds of resources, not only for the building up of this church, but more importantly, for the building up of your kingdom. Today, we stand upon their shoulders. And for that, we give you thanks. But God, you've called us to stand in line with them, to stand in line with them as great people of faith, doing whatever it takes, absolutely whatever it takes, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh God, you've called us to this great ministry, this great ministry of telling others about the salvation of Jesus through Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help us to do whatever it takes, absolutely whatever it takes, to share your good news. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.